morning, everyone. This is Kathy Mason from Mason Works Marketing here on Conscious Business Zone with my friend Ishtar Howell. Hi, Ishtar. Hey. Hola, hola, hola. Or what, what should I hola. say? Yeah, hola works here. Bom dia. Well, it's <laughs> afternoon, so you'd say like botard. Oh, but hola, hola also works, yeah. Oh, okay. And my Italian would say buona, buona pomeriggio, which means good afternoon. Mm. <laughs> so so Ishtar, I'm so excited you're here and I got to spend just a little bit of time with you yes, at the IONS conference and there's actually proof thank goodness um, Peter Panagor or someone took a picture of the three of us together um, and um, is that the first time that you've gone to an IONS conference? Absolutely was, yes Oh, yeah. what'd you think? Yeah. I Okay, you can tell us no one else is listening. What did you oh, think? <laughs> <laughs> I had a wonderful time. Um, I, I could have I could have used twice as much time just to be able to have longer social interactions with with people because it was like being in a popcorn, uh, you know, maker with everyone bouncing around. But uh, but yeah, that's that's lovely too. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, yes. Couldn't make it yep. to all the talks I wanted to make it to. Couldn't see all the people I wanted to see. Uh, but that's that's an embarrassment of riches. So that's not <laughs> yeah. that's an admirable problem to have. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm a volunteer and have been for all these years. So I hardly ever get to see very much of it. And I mm. I I um I watch the recordings for days and days and days. It's like I have TV table and put the <laughs> recordings of the event on and um, it's like, well, that I didn't know that and I didn't know that. Well, one of the things that um, I was hoping that you would share with us a little bit is um, a little overview of your talk that you had at IONS because you did, um, just to start out so we can give people a reference for knowing more about you. And I, and you guys, you're gonna love Ishtar. He's just a beautiful, loving soul, and a, a great guide and a mentor um, to help us through all of these changing times, and um, and do it with a little more ease, grace, and joy. So, mm -hmm. um, so, but if you would, um, I'd love to um, give you full screen and. And let you um, share a little bit so that people can get an idea a little bit about um, how um, divinely inspired your journey has been. It's as though you came in already partially awake and knowing, um, and, and I did too, um, mm. but didn't hear words, didn't know, wanted to be okay with being normal, all of mm. that. So would you, would you help us out here? Absolutely. So some of this will be stuff that I didn't talk about in the IANS Ooh, talk. Because I, oh I, I have to say I went rather off script than, than what, what people want me to do. I didn't even talk about the near-death experience. Everything afterwards is what I was interested in talking about. Um, first, I'll start out. Uh, I became a monk at age 18. And so I will give you the answer to the question, how does, how does one become a monk at age 18, at least in this case? <laughs> uh, I was born in Wisconsin. 
uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. I, I had the same room and really the same bed until age 18 when I moved out. A uh, very stable life in many ways. Uh, but from the time that I was in the crib, it was a little bit different. Uh, you know, I think one of my first, one of the first memories that that was in my mind was one night when I was sitting in my crib, it may have been early morning before the sun came up. I was sitting in my crib, but this was before I knew how to walk and before I knew how to escape the crib. Those were two big, <laughs> those were two very big moments in my life. And, and so I was, I was sitting there and then this woman came in, which was not uncommon because I often, uh, I think my grandma had stayed over and my, my aunt uh, would sometimes stay over and they'd sleep in the bed and I'd be in the crib and, and that sort of deal. And so somebody came and walked in the door of my room, but I'd never seen this person before. She was wearing a, a, a light blue nightgown, which had kind of a white collar, lacy type collar sort of thing. She had hair that was very curly, uh, which looked like my, my grandmother's hair. Um, only this woman was much shorter than my grandmother. And, mm -hmm. and I was just kind of watching her and she walked by the crib, and and uh, as she walked by, I felt her awareness. You know, that's the best words I can use. I felt her awareness touch me. I wasn't afraid of this woman. I felt um, only sort of positive regard from her. And I watched her. She walked by my crib, didn't look at me, but just kept walking. She kept walking, and then she she walked um, out the wall of my bedroom, and that was <laughs> that was. <laughs> sort of thing. I, I thought, well, I'd never seen anybody do that before. And, and I was thinking, you know, when I get out of this thing, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try that out myself. And, and so, uh, you know, just kind of let that one go about, must've been a few years later when I was, uh, you know, talking more and, and using language and that sort of stuff. I was sitting on the couch with my mother and we were looking through an old family photo album and, and we, Turn a picture, and there she was. There was the woman that I'd I'd seen walk by my crib, and it was the, the same nightgown, actually, in the same lace, which I found interesting. And it was my great grandmother. It was my 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 grandma's mother, and my great grandmother had died one year before I was born, more or less. And my mother would always say, like, you two had, you you two would get along, you know, wonderfully, have a lot in common. Tur turns out we had more, maybe more in common than I knew at the time. Uh, my my, my grand, great grandmother was into alternative spirituality way back in the 1930s and uh, vegetarianism and all sorts of stuff that, you know, especially in the state of Wisconsin, that's 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 really going outside the lines. You may not, you know, and uh, nothing against my home state. I, lo I love the place, but, um, you know, it's, it's way outside the norm to be a, a veg vegetarian who who was interested in the Count of St. Germain in the 1930s. It's, it's very unusual. Uh, so, though, so I guess if we did meet, that was that was that time in front of my crib. Any, anyhow, this was uh, the start of a trend. I had a besides being having a normal childhood, I had a bizarre, weird childhood, which I didn't think of bizarre or weird. I had all sorts of uh, beings that would come into my room, and um, I, you know, I figured they were ghosts. At the same time, I figured it's probably just my imagination which probably made the experience a little bit more palatable mm -hmm. if I could file it away that, that way. And they would come in and I would, I, for some reason I had set my room up at about age five or six into as best as I could get it, a, a representation of uh, Sherlock Holmes's consulting room. And I would dress up as Sherlock Holmes and I had the, like, 
a hat, a deer stalker hat and, and uh, you know, kind of a cob pipe. And uh, I was at the time it was the eighties. So uh, granted the television was running that wonderful Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series. He was, you know, my, my Sherlock Holmes and these spirits would come in and I would have them sit across from me. I was, I would sit in a little tiny rocking chair and what I would do is I would close my eyes and I would find myself going into the, into the, this vast space that I knew uh, in, in those days. And I would go into it and then I would kind of project it out in front of me. And when I'd open my eyes, um, they'd be, the room would be clean and they'd be gone. And then, and you know, what I thought I was doing at the time was I thought I was helping them onto their next step. Um, and, and so this, this happened quite a bit and uh, you know, just, I suppose just part of the territory uh, maybe more important than that was as a kid, there was that sense of kind of an underlying oneness. I didn't use those words and I didn't think it was anything particularly special or different. You know, you kind of, uh, you accept that the world that you're born into, you accept the perceptions that you have and you don't think of them as unusual. And that was there until about age seven. And I remember at about age seven, I was at a parent teacher conference with my mother, kindergarten sort of thing. And, and my kindergarten teacher was talking to my mother primarily. And she said, Oh, he's got a great personality. <laughs> and, and, I, and I have no, I had no idea what that word meant. So okay. afterwards I asked my mother, what's, what's a personality? You know, what she, what she mean by that? And then she, she went on to explain it. And then, then I thought, oh, that's what I don't have. I have to, I got to get me one of those. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure I, I did, you know, I, I, there was conditioning, but I wasn't married to my conditioning yet. I, I wasn't fully buying into it. I mean, I would sit back in, internally in, in this deep, silent place and I would watch myself having temper tantrums, you, you know, as a, as a yeah. two and three year old, I would watch myself not in a dissociated way, but I would, I, you know, well, I want to watch Ghostbusters, you know, <laughs> I, I had to watch it every day. This is true. I think I was in some ways a very easy child. In other ways, a very difficult child. <laughs> Maybe, you, you know, it's got to be Dumbo or it's got to be Ghostbusters. It depends on the year, you know, and, and, but I, you know, skin my knee and watch myself crying from this deep place of peace. Mm. And, and so when she mentioned personality, I thought, well, that's why I'm having, I was, I was having difficulty understanding adults and other people, why they acted in certain ways, why they reacted in certain ways. I didn't understand the mechanism. And so when she, she told me personality that some, some light bulb went off, that's the mechanism. And I thought, I don't have one of those. So I decided to, to get one. And so I, you know, the next few months, uh, you know, it was, I was still small and I was kind of the baby of the family. So they kind of keep you a baby longer right? They don't push you to grow up as like they do right. the firstborn. And, um, and so it's still a time when, when my mother would like, you know, pick out my clothes and put them on me and stuff like that. And especially turtlenecks, which I hated. I always felt like I was going to die, you know, uh, with, with the, it's horrible. Uh, and, and so I decided, I started picking out the clothes and I'd, and I'd say, uh, you know, in addition to the clothes today, my personality, you know, will behave in this way when these things happen because this happened earlier in life. So I was being like an actor and yeah. I was starting to sketch out a series of motivations and I would change them every day, you know, and I would commit to, to that thing because I basically figured that's what everybody was doing, you know, which, which, which yeah. is true, actually, yeah. you know. And, and then at some point I got caught in one 
you know, or one that was already nascent, really concretized, whatever the reason, it, it just I kind of got stuck. I, I remember having a conversation with my sister. I was having a, a terrible time at school, let's say, uh, in first grade. And I told her, I figured out how to have a better time. I've figured out how to, uh, I, I, I can tell what people want to see from me. And I will simply turn myself into whatever I need to so as not to get in trouble with, with people, you know, kind of chameleon. And, and then she said, you know, oh, you better watch out. You're going to lose yourself. You know, you, you know it's like, ah, so she's my older sister. said, so like, you know, I got it covered, you know, <laughs> not going to happen. You know, I, I can, I can handle this. And, and that's been about a year later. Uh, my parents gave me the advice life advice, just be yourself. And that had no meaning to me at all. I, I said like, well, which one, you know, you know? And then I, so I went to my sister's like, yeah, yeah, you were right. You know, <laughs> you got caught. So, so that was, to me, that was a trend from age seven to 13 in some ways. I mean, I, I should be a little bit more charitable. Um, but, but the trend was like so many people, I think it's just learning how to lie. I mean, I'm going to be more charitable. That's not the whole, the whole of all of us, but, but constructing that ego and, and learning how to be a social creature, to, to me, it was an exercise in, in, uh, in learning to lie. And, that, and, and so I hit about age 13. And at that point, I think I was a magnificent liar. Oh, uh, well, you know. I, I want to just interject one thing. And then, of course, we'll go right back. Um, I just want to say that I remember at um, age eight or younger, saying, how do you play the game here? This game, mm. how do you get love here? Because yeah. it was all conditional love. There was no unconditional love that I could see. It was that game you're talking about and that character you're playing was all to try to figure out the love game. Yeah. Really, truly. And it was pretty obvious that this was a different planet. <laughs> mm. Mm. This was like, how did I get here and how do I win this game? Because the game, the rules aren't normal and I don't know who to trust. I, it was almost that, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Of, uh, and, and I think I thought I was quite a very early realist because uh, thankfully my, my, my parents taught me how to, they, they were pretty good critical thinkers. They taught, they did their best to teach me that first uh, before teaching me rules, which in, in a, retrospect for them was probably a mistake because they didn't follow the rules because so many of the rules are just arbitrary bs uh that you know uh because in family I systems said so that it, right and it, that. You, you know you know yeah yeah uh, th that's exactly so and and so I, I didn't understand religionists at the time because I, I basically felt that most of them were split and inconsistent internally uh you know i'd see people talk about this love thing but you know as you said it was all conditional when you when you broke it down and and, and got down to it so i figured no nah, no nah, the, the religious stuff it's you know probably marx was right opiate for the masses type type thing it's like the real the real people the real ones that people in this world worship whether they ex believe it or not are people like napoleon you know i, I just take take the veneer off this is what this age is about it's about uh, power and dog eat dog and everybody else who says anything else, they're just trying to make it more. That was my view. It didn't right? make well, me unhappy, well, it, but that's what history shows. I mean, the mm. history of our planet is all about um, the tallest male and the alpha male. So it, and, and we're changing all of that right now. So, um, so I can see why they brought you in through the stork. 
um, yeah. <laughs> into this to go, hey guys. <laughs> and, and, you, and you see, and you see it at about at about six five. I'm giving up a lot of advantages here in this life. I'm I'm making a sacrifice. <laughs> we could have been king of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, you still are, but it's a, gen a gentle. It's a gentle loving <laughs> gift that you that you share, which I hope people get to experience with all of this. But I I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I just wanted to add that because I do think that's what's leaving right now is this. And I call it a costume. I mean, yes. um, when when you um, try to fit in and you're seeing a bigger picture than everyone else around you, it's, it is like a play you're mm -hmm. in and you've got this part and you can every day to pick a different part if you want, but that's a little, little strange. So you usually pick a path or you, like what you did, you went on a path mm -hmm. to find, find, yeah you yeah well i mean i i was helped because i was given an alarm clock i mean a big one at, at age 13 i hadn't really i had little ones throughout that time even with even with that kind of cynical um i didn't think that cynical that cynical or realist worldview that was basing uh, that was forming there was all sorts of mystical experiences that that you know kind of you know made made holes in in that that were pointing to something else and and at age 13 of uh, I was having a conversation with my mother one night and and I uh, just came out of my mouth without me thinking it the words are you going to die soon and uh, that was surprising to me because I'd never had that fear and it didn't even come out as a fear when it came out of my mouth it just just came out I'd never had that fear about my mother though so it made no sense for me to why why this should be coming out of my mouth at this time and it kind of affected her too I could tell it kind of you know, Stunder, which was unusual because she was a fairly formidable woman, six feet tall, very intelligent, uh, had her, I think, psyche uh, together in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so that was that that also struck me that it struck her. And then she said, no, no, you know, like not not for a while. I'll, I'll be around as long as you need me. And I, I was like, OK. And I went to bed and I woke up the next morning with a start, uh, like a cartoon character, just straight up and. Uh, it was just as she and my dad were passing by my um, open bedroom door to go on uh, a walk at about six in the morning. And I was just like, woke up as if I'd run into my body from somewhere. I was gasping for air, <sighs> panting. And I was like, I got something I got to tell you. I, I don't know what it is. I, I can't remember what it was. I was so distraught that I couldn't remember this message apparently that I had. That was the whole purpose for me to rush into my body. And they called me down and they went off on their walk. And then I got myself ready to go to school it was, you know, second to last day. That meant, you know, those were usually the fun days, no homework, yeah. uh, some activities, pick up some awards. I was lucky that I won awards a lot. Um, so, you know, I got to, you know, have those ego trophies to take home <laughs> and, um, you know, finish the night before I'd actually broken my arm playing baseball. So my, my biggest uh, complaint at the time was that oh, I was going to miss, you know, like, uh, two thirds of the baseball season or something. And we were uh, just dropped my sister off at the, at a movie theater and we pulled out in traffic and we got hit by a car uh, in our car that, that we couldn't see coming and it was speeding. And uh, you know, apparently they didn't see us. And in the moment that I was, I was turning my head to the left uh, to talk to my mother. And in that moment uh, there was this giant, like gray Lincoln 
going at high speed just outside our car, like right there. And so I didn't, you know, I had time enough for like a couple thoughts. The first one was shit. That was the thought, <laughs> you know, like basically like that was the summation of, oh, this is it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're done here. And the second thought was more, uh, you know, it was actually I, I calmed down instead of tensed up, which, which was even interesting at the time. Because I think, why are we calming down instead of tensing up? Uh, but but the, the, the second thought was, I really thought this life was going to go more than 13 years. And I was really like, did somebody change the script without me knowing it? And it was like a deep sense that this was not wow. the end point. But I was pretty sure this was the end point. You know, we're not getting out of this, right? Um, and then I had the whole life flash before my eyes. As I'm still in this millisecond of looking at this car about to hit us. And that was fascinating for me because I'd, I'd been interested in that phenomena growing up. And I thought, how could that be possible? And what could that be like for that to happen? Uh, and, you know, for me, it was, it was more interesting than, than what I'd read about it or heard about it because it was not just my life in little discrete frames, like you find in a movie thing. It was, it was seamless. Right. And and it was, you know, of course, I mean, people who watch this stream have heard this story, probably these stories a million times, but every every single thing in life and, and also in more detail than I consciously experienced it at the time. And, and also, you know, getting into other people's lives, everything being sort of simultaneously experienced. And, and also in this, there was this totally objective aspect of consciousness that I had known you know, here and there in childhood, a lot in early childhood. I often didn't like it because in my seven to 13 years, because it would often kind of come and say like, that's that's maybe not a great idea. And I'd be like, <laughs> ah, shut up, shut up. You know, I'm going to do this, you know? Uh, and, and, and usually it turned out like, oh yeah, I guess probably shouldn't have done it that way. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. Oof. And, 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 and so here I was with this aspect, except, I was, I was being progressively fused with it happily. Mm. So, and it was like, like, like Virgil is to Dante and the divine comedy. It was taking me through also on a tour of this life. And it was pointing different things out to me. And it was, and it was saying, Oh yeah, that look, look at, okay, here's every place where I had reacted or, or, you know, worn a mask of pretense or, you know, lied for various reasons or, or was being ruled by fear or something like that. All those things were seen. And in perfect clarity and, and forgiven, they were washed. You know, they were, they were seen and, and, and washed. And, and then there were also places where, where they were like, pay attention to this one. And they were moments I would not have picked out as the greatest triumphs of an incarnation, but they apparently were. And mm -hmm. some of those were the most quietest little moments. Uh, one in particular has always stood out in my mind to this day. And it was, it was in third grade. It was a memory of third grade. So that would have been like three, four years before uh, the, the accident. And, and they were saying like, I was, I was out in the, the uh, playground on the asphalt looking at a puddle when it's starting to rain. And I fell into this profound silence. You know, as a kid, I didn't think, oh, this is a great profound silence. That was not at all yeah. registering. But I, I totally sunk into, into samadhi. And, and it showed me, showed, somehow it picked this moment and said, like, that you, you let yourself go all the way in, basically was what it was saying, if it could be said in English. And, and a number of those other moments were, were, were shown. 
and then a few of the tragedies were shown just for good for good measure like getting cut getting, sort of losing a fight against a few people getting thrown against a a, a chain link um, fence and having and being gifted the perspective of we'll call it my higher self you know in in at the moment which was and which was thinking something like oh this is great yes this this is absolutely going to produce some kind of a uh, psychological defense, which you'll have to get over later. That'll be excellent, excellent, excellent. You know, you know. And, and I was like, oh my god, there's a gleeful aspect of myself in like a in a tremendously bad, unhappy moment of life. And and so you know the whole the whole thing. And then it, it was the feeling. There's a feeling, physical somatic sense that some kind of transparent skin was being pulled off me, off my body through this whole thing. And, and it's a skin that, that just carried, had all this weight. It was the skin of psychological weight. It was a skin of the tension that, that only believing yourself and identifying yourself as, you know, as a, as a drop in the ocean or identifying yourself as the, the narrator, commenting narrator who lives up in your head somewhere. That, that on, only living as that, as, as your main identity, that just produces an immense weight. We don't know it because most of us are all in that weight. So we're all, right. you know, we're all the inmates here in the asylum. You know, Plato's cave is not, does not require a techno dystopia. Plato's cave is here. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it, that, it, you know. That's exactly it. And the, the thing that I love about hearing your journey, and, uh, and I'm, uh, I don't want to keep interrupting because I want to keep hearing your journey, um, is that um, the glimpses that we get of our divine um, connection and our co-creation with the divine are real, but we just um, we don't necessarily see them or understand the gift of them. Like you, you seeing that going into samadhi, watching the raindrop in a puddle um, as a as a child, and and then being shown that again, that yes, you, we got, we, you already knew, <laughs> you already knew. And then to also to, uh, to know that um, as you're going to be talking about um, your mother passing, um, that, that it was still okay. Um, mm. Although, although I don't know how, how was that? Um, so at age 13, you and your mother are in a terrible car accident yes. and um, she, she makes sure that you're okay. She yes. calls out several times um, but before she leaves to make sure you're okay. Um, how, how did you deal with that? Was there a knowing because of your experience that, she was okay too, or were you still got into the whole family, um, uh, the the mourning of the whole family? Um, and and I don't know if you felt guilt that you made it and she didn't. I don't. I don't know. Did you have any of that? No, no, I I really didn't. Uh, no, no guilt. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> I think I was neurotic enough. I, I should have been on on the menu, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like I, I neither of us really could have done much. We were both doing the best we could. We couldn't see that other car, you know, and it was just hidden behind another car that was going slower and sped up at the wrong time. 
So and, it was a choice point. Do you feel like you had a choice to come back? Because you were out of your body and you could have left. I Yeah, I, I think I was absolutely meant to, to not die. I, I, it was not at all in, in the script for me to go anywhere. It was absolutely only the alarm clock. Because um, my, my body wasn't even hurt. I never, actually, I never counted what I'd experienced as, a near, as, a, as an NDE. I certainly heard of right. those already. Right. Um, I, I'm going to mention the film Flatliners again oh, in an wow. interview. So passe, right? Uh, because as a kid, I'd, I'd watch it and I thought, oh my God, NDEs, that's intense shit, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and then so, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't have one of those. I didn't have a, uh, anything like that. Um, going on and and there was very little harm that came to my body which which actually was very strange and and if, if anything probably gave me um more of a sense of teenage invulnerability than i should have had oh oh wow to, to be, yeah because it's it's i mean our car that 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 car was um totaling even though the 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 brunt of the force um hit my mother's side it was it was rough i remember getting um concussed by my head being slammed into the um the window of my car door the window didn't shatter neither did i have a bruise on my head anywhere or a bump of any kind wow. uh, there was no injuries in my body at all except i broke my i don't know how i broke i broke the middle finger on my <laughs> right hand which which was my broken arm so i the first like month of summer my cast basically looked like this <laughs> which you couldn't you couldn't have script i mean it's like i you couldn't have scripted that better because that was some part of my body that had to be in the form to, to let, you know, kind of let the anger out. Cause I was very angry and uh, I knew my mother was fine. Just, I oh, knew I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't an issue. The, okay. the issue was, was not having a mother around in the physical form. Right. Uh, right. Really in the spirit form. I didn't get vis visitations or anything funnily enough from, from my mother oh. um, that I was conscious of. And and so that that was the the that was the difficult part. Uh, that that part didn't hit me until about in in my full blast didn't hit me because it certainly did, but it didn't really really like make my life you know miserable uh, most hours of the day uh, until like two and a half months after, uh, um, be yeah. because the, that the my bell was rung but I was um, I was brought into a profound state of samadhi within the accident before they. Before the impact, I, I was didn't have that word for it, of course, at the time. But by the time that the the life review was over, uh, everything in my in the scene of my visual scene, I, I knew that I was everything everywhere, and and I knew that I was not the little you know when I I was not the little driver, the biographical self. I was this profound substratum that was in everything. It was a realization that not that I had been love the whole time that every bit of life had been love. If I was going to use a word, which was, and, and it was the most alive I'd ever been funnily enough, which, which at the time, you know, way in the back of the mind thought, well, nice that we're going out in a high point, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at least we're going out with the best, you know, we, we, we really mastered life right before we're not supposed to, you know, right before we're not going to be around anymore. Uh, but er everything was just glowing. And and the the clouds uh, and the the blue sky, the the guy in the car about to hit us, my mother's shoulder, every, everything of the scene was just complete uh, peace. And then you know I came to and you as you said my my mother passed, and she left um, her body 
say in the ambulance. Um, I didn't register that that meant she wasn't coming back into the body at the time. Found out later that that was the case in the hospital. And, uh, you know, of course, a lot of tears and crying and, and uh, you know, being you know, walked out of the, the hospital. And then, you know, about a week, you know, right after, after her wake, I mean, after her um, they call it celebration of life or funeral, um, after, you know, that was a very busy period, all relatives coming from everywhere, lots of stuff going on, you know, more people in my house than I was used to having coming over, helping, bringing over casseroles and like, and, and, and stuff like that. And, and so after that had kind of settled down and, and there was this sort of regular life, uh, I started to notice weird, weird things about my experience. I started to notice that in, it, I could look inside and, and there was as if there was a, you know, an endless hallway, you know, in, in, in the back of my head or in the back of my heart. Uh, a big vastness, big vast space, and uh, you know, I was experimenting with that. And one of the experiments was anytime I put my attention very deeply into it, because it was there all the time, I couldn't shake it. I would try to shake it, uh, but I couldn't. And I would try to like, I would try to bullshit people, you know, in the way that you do when you're, you know, trying to protect your ego. And I couldn't. And I was like, wow, we can't even do that now. And and I would start laughing if I tried. Uh, and every time I would put my attention into that space, uh, joy and bliss, you know, for lack of better term, words at the time, would would flood through my body. Wow. And I was I was experiencing, they would, you know, sometimes it would start out at the base of my feet and go up the legs and people who do Qigong and other things know where this is going and go up base of my spine, go up my head and sometimes and at the same time be coming down into my head. And it was really interesting. And first I thought, because I thought it was, this is all just shock. You know, and I was thinking, man, this shock shit's really good. You know, like, <laughs> why don't they write about how good this is? Because everyone would want to do it, wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, and and uh, but then I, you know, realized it wasn't shock. And and uh, I did have an Elizabeth Kubler Ross book on death and dying. That was my mother's up on her bookshelf. I cracked it open a few times just to see what was going on with me and grief and all that kind of stuff. And I was, you know, like like clockwork. But all these 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 mystical states I didn't remember. Uh, so, so this was interesting. I had to, I wasn't afraid of anything either because, and I realized how, just how afraid I had been the, just the past few years of my life with a relatively easy life in North America, in Wisconsin with good parents and a great sister and great family, how much of a basket case I was tied up in knots with, and fearful. And I wasn't even that afraid compared to most people. So this was a revelation. It was such a freedom to be living without this kind of burdensome biographical self that I had to had to nanny and placate and 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 think that I was oh my god you know to, to think that I was all those years I don't oh, look at this is me and and so what a freedom it was and then it faded uh and I, I and I know you know why it faded for a variety of reasons one of them had to do with the fact that I think it was in my life script to be uh to actually be a teacher and to help people get to that space themselves because I remember even some friends in the summer, if they, they actually, some people, a few people noticed that I was in actually in a kind of a good way. And, and they're like, you know, how'd that happen? I said, well, you just got to get really close to dying and then not die, you know? And then we'd laugh and he's like, yeah, we'd laugh because it was such sketchy, bad advice, right? Not practical. <laughs> let's get in the car, let's get in the car, let's get, get it up to 50, let's crash to a wall, you know? Years later when I saw Fight Club, the film, I was like, hey, they, they're onto it right there. Wow. Uh, 
and and so I knew that was bad advice, and then it, it faded. And I, I I think part of it was I needed to. I was supposed to eventually. I had to go back to sleep, to a certain degree, with this memory of something else, and and try to get it again somehow, and try to figure out how to get get my way um, back to that space. And it, you know, at first I was didn't think I didn't understand that until a year later that some of the stuff that I had been experiencing was was basically the same mystical states that different yogis and lamas and mystics had, had been uh, plumbing for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. I didn't know that. Uh, it, my life seemed like not, you know, just a kid in Wisconsin, small town, you know. Right, it, right. To me, it seemed like that's that's a different category of life, right? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, then what, I picked up a book. Your family must have been wondering about you a little bit, too, because because of this, this bliss that you're in afterwards. Oh, I kept it on the DL. No, no, no. Oh, I, I, no. I kept it on the DL. Oh, uh, and I didn't okay. talk about it, really. Yeah, not, no. I, I mean, not even with the people I trusted. Uh, I was going to. I remember a sentence almost got out of my mouth to my dad. I was going to ask him, Dad, do you feel this? And before I got done, there was sort of this inner guidance said, like, he absolutely doesn't. Don't talk to people about this. You know, you, you nurture this seed. You know, don't let other people oh, kind of get into your process here because you're kind of psychologically fragile and you need to, you know. Kind yeah, because then you'll give it up again to please everybody else again. Maybe. So, yeah, maybe. So. So, yeah, yeah I was I was. Yeah. Brooke Grove said hello to two of my favorites, Misses and Kisses. And uh, Felice also said, going to watch replay. Loved you both. And uh, Auric Vibe is here. Hi, Kathy and Ishtar. So if you guys have questions for Ishtar, but um, next we're going to talk about <clears throat> his journey. So, so he makes it through high school. And then you make a huge commitment. I mean, other people are like figuring out sports and college and... All of right. this, you go, nope, I'm doing something else. Do you want right, to right, that? exactly. And I was a little crazy. I mean, I slow, I, I, I in my way, I, I slow walked it, but I know that was pretty fast to go from. I, I was a freshman and I thought I'd have a compromised life path because initially, pre 13 NDE, Thomas Howell wanted to be, thought he was going to be an actor and a, I mean, not, not an actor, but a lawyer and a politician. Um, Post NDE, I started thinking. I'm, I think I'm supposed to be a mystic. That's not a career, and, and it's not made for. And I, I'm not. And I don't think I, I'm cut out for it. So what's in between? Well, like an artist. An artist is in between those two things, or an actor, a musician. So that okay, I guess I'll be like an actor, a musician. You know, and and I, that's what I thought I was going to do for for a while. And uh, <laughs> and you know, as, as the compromise, uh, middle of the road path. And you know, I I went through through high school and I, I actually had some wonderful um, guides who came to my town uh, who, who were like angels sent. Um, one of them I think was, was in, in, in some state of in, enlightenment, maybe a couple of them. Um, and, and, you know, they were in town at the right time. And I, I kept plugging along and about age 17, it dawned on me that I, I needed to, if I was going to do this, I had to go all the way in the way that I could. So, it, so I, the, the year before my last year in high school, or maybe the summer before, something like that, I uh, I started meditating six hours a day. And I was doing like concentration meditations and I was taking cold showers at three in the morning. 
I was doing a lot of fasts. It was a very ascetical lifestyle, uh, which I kind of loved and also hated <laughs> at the same time. Uh, but I thought I have to do this. And if this is the way, then I'm going to do it. Otherwise, what am I talking about? I might as well not talk about this stuff if I'm not willing to go all the way. That was kind of my mentality. And, uh, you know, then at some point in my last year of, of school, I didn't really want to be there. I just kept dreaming about finding some monastery in the mountains somewhere. And I was, I was getting, uh, sending out for pamphlets from different monasteries and ashrams of various, uh, you know, denominations from Zen to Carmelite and everything in between. None of them had, none of them had the right feel. I knew they weren't the, the place. And, and so, you know, um, I'm one night I'm reading Yogananda's autobiography and I, and he says like, if you pray to Babaji, he'll hear you. And I thought, okay, big claim Yogananda, I'm going to take you up on that. And, and, and I prayed to Babaji and my prayer was basically, you know, like, uh, I really need help. I, I know I haven't located my, my home path. I haven't found it yet. I'm not on it. You know, could you, could, I need help finding it and connecting with it. And, and I had this feeling of like someone putting a ball into my head, you know, in a good way, very, very pleasurable. And the, there's a particular tonal frequency with it. And, and I was told, and I didn't know if this was like Papaji or by imagination or an astral pretender, but I was just kind of going to ride with it, see what happened. And, and I was told, you know, you know, next time you have this frequency come up, you know, the, pay attention, you know, that'll be your clue. So I was like, okay, I can, I got that pitch. And it was like a day or two later. I don't, I don't exactly remember if it was the next day or two days later. I was coming home as basically as soon as I got in my block, uh, my, my final block home, I started hearing that pitch, you know, and as I, as I kept walking towards home, it only increased as, as there's my sister and my brother and soon to be brother-in-law on the stoop of my house. And as soon as my brother-in-law starts, you know, invites me to a meditation course, the pitch is like huge in, in there. And, and I found myself saying yes, without thinking about it, without even having volition to say yes. It was like, God was saying yes. The whole universe was saying, moving my mouth again for me, which I was, was different because I was kind of like Mr. No a lot in those days to social okay. things. I wouldn't do it because six, having a six hour meditation regimen is hard to have anything else going on with like school and that you have to say no to everybody and, and be, and just be very dedicated to, to that. And so when I was saying yes, I was like, Oh my God. Okay. And, and we went with it. And I was, I uh, was skeptical. I went to this, learned this meditation practice called the Ashaya's Ascension. I was quite skeptical uh, when I'm sitting there. And in my case, and this is not the case with everybody, even everybody whose path it might end up being, but in my case, it was maybe 45 seconds into my first meditation with their technique. Uh, and, and that was it. I knew there was, a, that would, it took me into the, a deeper Samadhi than, than and any that I'd remembered experiencing before. Wow. Certainly, certainly deeper than even the NDE. And, and there was such a profound sense of being home with, with it. And I'd had mm -hmm. samadhis before and through concentration meditations and Zen practice, but often they came after hours of exhausting myself. This one was so different. Uh, and so that, it, that was building, you know, coming and going that whole weekend. 
And in by the end, basically, I asked the teacher, say like, hey, I've already prepared my life to leave my house. I can be ready in 48 hours. If you have a monastery, I'll be there. You know, uh, I just have to settle my affairs this is the term, a very adult term I used at, at 18. Um, and, and they're like, and they were like, whoa, 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 buddy. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. We just sold our mon monastery, just sold. It was, a, it was a property in North Carolina. It's like, oh, really? And they said like, yeah, but there's some, some people running other centers. So uh, one of, one of those, um, my, my, my soon to be brother-in-law, his brother was associated with one of those. And, and I found that it was uh, at that time out in Idaho. So I started calling different centers and pestering them, you know, <laughs> Try not to be rude, but I think so. Yeah. You know, when you're 18, I was like, hey, uh, I, can I come and live with you? I mean, I'll work. I'm a hard worker. I don't have that many skills yet, but I'm smart and I can learn them, whatever, you know, just I'll do it. And it was like, yeah, okay, maybe it's later. <laughs> you know? And and so I, I, you know, ended up moving out to Seattle with my uh, my sister and brother-in-law. There's just a pole to get to Seattle. I love that town. And it felt like we all felt like, let's go out there. And we did. And I thought I'd be there for a while. And I thought I'd at least be there for a whole summer and, uh, you know, then reassess at the end. But just a, must have been a month into my stay. I just had, I have to go to a meditation center. You know, you're just kind of, um, you know, just kind of wasting time, relatively speaking. So I, there was one down in Oregon and I got on the phone with them and they accepted me. Uh, and yeah, I went, I went down there and I was associated with this ashram community for about six and a half years. And wow. Yeah. Wow. So the discipline, somehow you came um, to this earth with a lot of discipline compared to most kids. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. No, actually, uh, yes and no. I mean, I'm maybe middle of the road, Kathy, but actually to, to me to be fully aesthetic, I definitely pushed myself. I mean, there was a lot of like, I don't know where that push came from, though, but it, it, it was I did it. Uh, uh, I guess there, I had discipline if it was something that I loved, for sure. You know, I would I would I could practice drums and drill for hours. I could play basketball for hours and work on technique. But those were easy, you know, very enjoyable. Taking a freaking cold shower at three in the morning, that never became fun for me. <laughs> I mean, not the initial wave. Yeah. No, but yeah. your your um, desire to be reconnected to um, all that is, and the, your your knowing of that, your um, feeling of that, um, yeah. was the driver, right? Yes. I, I mean, it had to happen, and and in some ways, it, you know, maybe it wasn't the best motivation in some ways, but I also felt I owed it to my mother in a way. You okay. know, and but that was even if it wasn't the best, it was a very strong motivation. You know, wow. because her, her life, I felt, was truncated. You know, 45, I'd seen her have two or three of the happiest professional years of her life right before the end. It, did, it looked like she was going nowhere but up in, in many ways. And then to have an end, and she was a, a well-loved person in the community and, and was working as a therapist at the end of her life, as well as running a, the office of a therapy uh, center. And, and so I, I guess I felt that you know, since I had the precognition of it, it was it was a scripted sort of thing, and yeah. and I felt in a very personal way that all we although we all have scripts with everybody in our life, as, I suppose, the, the one with my mother felt like okay that that was she decided to be the one who you know who's close to you who you have to lose and that and 
and that that, that was going to play the part in propelling you to to wow find some because I knew that if she hadn't died, um, I would not as quickly, maybe not at all, be be pushed onto this path. I would have been perfectly happy with with not experiencing samadhi. <laughs> I mean, I would have been perfectly ha maybe a happy upper middle class lawyer or some something like that. No, Nothing wrong have... with that. To all the middle class lawyers listening. No, to this, I, I have every faith that you would have still figured out a way to to have that experience. Um, but it would have been under different exposure, probably. But but you would. Have, I mean, once once your soul says, OK, you didn't really have to come back here this time. You're here to help others. Um, and uh, this is your path. Uh, let's see um, how many twists and turns we can have to this storyline until we get you there. Um, I, I truly believe that. I, I, I don't know if you do, but okay. So, so you go and you um, live in an ashram and you're, um, these are six years of your, I mean, big years of um, sequestering yourself away pretty much with how many people i mean uh you know it was i i, I could i think it was even more than half cloistered you know oh, so it wasn't okay. full cloistered i mean we had uh we had businesses in the town we were interacting with the mayor and they would come oh, to our okay. cafe. so so yeah it was a good it was actually that's that was the goldilocks probably for me was to have all those things happening uh and and yet yeah you know, there was you know i i did describe us as kind of a benign cult <laughs> um, my my sister did too. We're not quite sure who came up with the word first. We'll have to litigate that later. But um, you know, even at the time, and I had no bones about it. I was like, yeah, it's kind of a cult. It's kind of like a benign cult, you know. Um, so there was that sense of you know an insularity, which for a while was wonderful uh, and and necessary because uh, it was a it was an environment of intense focus, and it was also an environment where where pretty much you know everybody was expressing themselves very honestly and if they weren't they would be invited to you know uh, and by when i say invited to yeah they might be badgered to a little bit uh but uh, everybody you know had come to an agreement that this is what we're here for you know we're, this is not the forever home we're all here for the same thing of course we all have different ways of slightly that we're going to get there but you know if, if you want to be in this environment you got to be 110 percent you know of, oh. about what you gotta, you gotta, and, and if you don't love it, then you don't want to be here, you know? Right, it's, it's, right. Do but you else. made it six years without um, rejecting it. And, and that's a huge investment of that, of that time period in your life. And, and yeah. then you were teaching um, meditation, yes. right? In, enduring, during, yeah. Oh, okay. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that um, so many of the people that watch this show, um, are definitely looking to get into a deeper, more expanded view of what's what's possible, and um, and maybe harness a little bit more of their energy to use at this changing times. Yeah. And and um, the one thing that I just am so 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 glad to know about you is the joyfulness of all of this. This isn't, yeah. I mean, you look at a piety in a lot of religions. It's like all of this oh, yes. theatrics and, and, you know, it's like a spiritual ego, egoism really. Is yeah, yeah. And you're, you're not doing 
that at all. And the way that you connect people is through joy and story and fun. It's not about um, a race. It's, yes. it's, you know, that, oh, I got to get there faster, which everything else in American culture and society is. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. So back to King of the Mountain, back to back to the King of the Mountain game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you want to share a little bit about your meditation? And then, of course, we definitely want to still talk about astrology at some point. Oh, but, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Well, uh, fun funnily enough, like uh, I didn't I didn't think I was ever going to be a meditation teacher. Uh, I wasn't drawn to that at all. I wanted to be in a monastery and I wanted to have an environment where I could go as deeply as I could with, with help. And then who knew, who knew what would, would come next. And I remember I did this teacher training program, what they suggested I do. Uh, and I thought, well, great. It's just a long retreat. So I went into a, I, I was able to do a work exchange for it because back in those days, and they cost more now. Everything's gone up. But back in those days, this six-month course cost ten thousand eight hundred bucks, and I didn't exactly have that on me. So I was very lucky they uh, allowed me to do a work exchange. So I worked eighteen months, and then my course came, and it was wonderful. Uh, I had already, I think, I was very well prepared for it because I had been already a very intense and dedicated uh, meditator, both with my eyes closed and my eyes open. Uh, that the particular practice I was doing is almost like a prayer form. Uh, I, I sometimes call the techniques prayer mantras. They, 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 they um, you know, they, I, I worked in a kitchen for much of my work exchange. So I kind of felt like this old, uh, my, my almost adopted as my own patron saint, Brother Lawrence, who was this uh, Catholic monk from I think, 17th century. He uh, worked in an abbey in Paris most of the time and, and people would, uh, come from miles and miles and hundreds of miles even away to watch him to watch him make soups and bliss basically so that was you know that was what I was trying to sort of uh, slip into in in my work was to was to know the source with my eyes open uh, the, the the first uh, event uh, the biggest event that I remember I was uh, chopping onions and and then you know potatoes over here and some, somehow it just dawned from from somewhere. Uh, it, it dawned that I hadn't had a thought, and I couldn't remember how long. And I was in I was in complete and total bliss and silence everywhere. And I and that, that had been happening that had been that way for again. I had no idea how long, but I just had this almost popped up to be able to have the realization of you know what was happening. And I felt like I was I extended a hundred feet back and a hundred feet to the sides and, you know, or, or endlessly. And, and, and as soon as I, you know, realized that I, I it was then a thousand feet, you know, it kind of, it kind of went off. And, and there, there I was, you know, maybe, uh, you know, fully in my body, of course, it's not an out of body sort of thing and, and not dissociated, but, you know, it was as if my hands and the onion and the cutting board and this body and face were about 2% of, yeah. something much larger and yeah. the scent and of course the center was everywhere as as you know it was it, it was not it was not just in the head it was everywhere all at once mm -hmm. and and that was a profoundly powerful um, open-eyed samadhi and and you know then you know 
I often think of those those bigger experiences, you know, the, the big punctuation marks that sort of spread themselves into all the little tiny ones that are, you know, kind of coming up in all the other moments of life. And then I went to this training, went through the training. It was wonderful. Uh, you know, kind of, especially near the end, there was just a sense of almost for large chunks of time, sort of permanently being in that space of, of um, centerless presence and centerless mm-hmm. rootedness here in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, kind of faded away after I got out of it. But then I started teaching and, you know, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I remember one time in, in Seattle. Well, that's, that's a story that's not germane to the conversation. It's just funny. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm, when you're, I'm just saying it's funny when you're a 20 year old meditation teacher. I'm just, and you look, <laughs> I looked young then too. I mean, I, I was 20, but I didn't have much facial hair yet. Or if I shaved really well, then I definitely looked 17. So I remember being <laughs> at one class at East West in Seattle, biggest crowd I'd ever seen, this big bookstore in Seattle. Uh, I'd never had a crowd that big. And I remember one, one lady came up and, and said, like, Do you know where the teachers are? And then uh, my really bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny was I, I went and looked behind the chair behind oh. me and I said, I found one. It's right here. And and she did not find that joke funny at all. <laughs> and I told that that joke bombed. Oh. And, and I, and I kind of had somebody like sneering from the first row, her, you know, mo, mo, you know, mo, most of that um, night. Oh no. Maybe well, she um, wasn't sneering to her, you know, maybe that, that, uh, that was my well, perception. I, do you know Kelvin Chin? Um, he's also- A little bit. Yeah, yeah, he he was a TM teacher at his, in his twenties, um, and same thing. Um, I mean the and and he started doing TM for um, the opportunity to get out of high anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, same, so I mean, so many people. It was a practical tool um, that uh, Maharishi brought over, and 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 you know back then you didn't have to wear special clothes. I mean. Yeah. Now you don't have to wear special clothes and and all all of the trappings of it. Although, do you still feel that you should wear whites and? All well, I don't that? do TM. I mean, uh, my practice. Or, no, is, but I mean, your meditation. Did you oh, wear whites? I actually, I actually did. That was a funny quirk of our our monastic vows. So you didn't have to, to be a regular meditator. But I had it. I had a burr, you know, on me that that you know at eighteen I was like I got to have a ritual. You know, it's like, okay, okay. Even though another half of me thought like rituals are just empty, you know, it's just the work, you know, what are you into these rituals for, buddy? And it's like, no, I want a ritual, you know, that's the internal conversation. So yeah, I I wore white for for just about all white for two years straight. I found that was a wonderful effect in it, which was, which was interesting. It was lightning. And um, I, I, I kind of had a sense that I wasn't, I was going to be asked not to wear white when I had a spaghetti dinner. Oh, no. and and for the first time there was not a drop of red on any of my clothes so so mastering the twirl with spaghetti with wearing white was like okay i got we've, it we've, we've we've got it and and then they asked me to i was asked to wear black and that was a lot easier to shop for <laughs> uh, so so yeah no no i i just uh you know i i, I wear whatever clothes i I, I like to wear these days. And sometimes oh. I'll go back if I do a ceremony. I have some ceremonial clothes. And if I want to be a little theatrical, 
or if that feels right, I, I wear those things. But yeah, you don't have to do any of that. Like the no. name I was given is a joke too, in a way, because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get a Sanskrit name. Awesome. You know, it's part of me taking vows. And then I get a non-Sanskrit name <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. It's also the name of a goddess that kind of makes it, you know, <laughs> and, and a movie everyone's going to tell me about that they've never actually saw, but they think is bad still. You know, it's, it's, it's like, Funnily enough, years later, I was doing a contracting job and uh, this is turning into like an Irish story because we're going all over the place. I was I was doing a, a contracting job, a building job in Portland, Oregon. I walk into the house. I meet the homeowner. Seems like a really nice guy. And I give him my name, say, oh, Ishtar. His face goes completely white as if I've turned into the to, to death or something <laughs> oh, like no. that. I say, are, are, are you OK? It's like, no, OK. We, Ishtar, is it? is it? Yeah. I said, I have to tell you. And he's catching his breath like I was one of produ I was one of the producers of that film. And, and and he's saying, like, we were we were a Wall Street firm. We didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, I said, I didn't know it was, I haven't seen it yet. You know, you tell, don't worry about it. You know, it's, like, it's cool. No, we're, we're no heart attacks allowed. Um, no, no heart attacks allowed. So yeah. So so we are almost out of time and we didn't Ooh. even get to talk about your astrology. Um, but I definitely do want to, <laughs> to make sure that people know that um, not only do you teach meditation and there is a website, ascension-meditation.com, but you also are a master at um, helping people find their way through yeah. um, uh, awakened astrology. Do you want to just share a few minutes about that? Robert? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, we'll that... Come back. You'll come back. We'll have you back. And, and and funnily enough, in, in some ways, those have turned into complementary practices. My oldest work is uh, in this way is meditation teaching because I love uh, I love just giving people very easy tools to connect to presence, and I mean extremely easy. So you know that's 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 how easy it it can be. Um, and and then astrology, I never thought I'd ended up as as an as an astrologer. I thought I'm disreputable enough already that I. Should, I <laughs> How can I make myself even more disreputable? Ah, become an astrologer. Oh no! There's the answer. So I actually, funnily, I had a little bit of resistance, and my 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 wife is really good at knowing a lot of the stuff that's going to happen in my life, you know, next. And she says, "You're going to be an astrologer." It's like, yeah, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> then of course, where we become an astrologer, uh, as as I I find it, it's to, to me my approach with it is basically connecting people to their own mythology. You know, in mm -hmm. a way that's in a way that's freeing and not constraining. Uh, I, I basically view people. People are like songs, or, mm. or people are like like the, the grains on a piece of wood, and and so I, I have this basic presupposition that by and large, we we tend to not only have more actualized or happy lives, but we tend to uh, awakening happens much more easily if we're allowing ourselves to go with the song or go with the grain. Right. Uh, I'm a little bit inspired by, I, I love Alan Watts, um, uh -huh. especially late Taoist Alan Watts, more so than mm -hmm. early Zen or middle Buddhist. But, um, you know, late, late Taoist Alan Watts would, would, would often say like, you know, the, the difference between a, I'm not quite sure this is as simple and pat as he made it, but the difference between Judeo-Christian culture and, and, and um, say like a doubt, the Taoist aspect of Chinese civilization is that at the, at the bottom of Judeo-Christian culture, there's a notion that, that we're somewhat defective and that we need some remediation to make up <laughs> for the defectiveness. 
at the at the at the root of Taoism, our troubles are not because we have an original defect. It's because we we we've we've learned how to walk away from the perfection of the original blueprint. Wow. And and that that is basically where I come from as an astrologer, is and what I do in sessions is I, uh, it's more than just astrology. I, I often get like into I, that's why I call them intuitive natal chart readings because there's often a, pictures and images and emotions and uh, things of that nature which I started weaving into the. Uh, the consultations, but there's, there's basically, it feels like we're, we're, we're at best, you can do a crummy session every now and then. I think everybody does, <laughs> but, but um, you know, that what, what we're doing is we're just, we're, we're listening to their soul together. Mm. And, and there's, and there's, I've, I noticed after very, very quickly, people started reporting there was therapeutic benefits. It's like, well, I knew all this stuff kind of, but I didn't know it and I didn't right. feel it. I didn't hear it. I couldn't hear my song exactly. I kind of knew it, but now I'm experiencing it. And then interesting things happen out of that. And, and so that, that's, that's the purpose of that work is uh, another quote, just as a quote that I'm sort of guided by. I don't know if it's Jung or Campbell. I think it's Jung, but uh, the quote is that people don't have mythologies. Mythologies have people. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's, that's, that's the idea. I think if we, if we kind of allow those, myths or the archetypal dimension to live through us with as much ease as possible if we accept it then we tend to find that instead of you know clawing at the banks of a river that's trying to take us to 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 you know paradise we allow <laughs> ourselves we allow ourselves to let the current take us you know more more easily to where we we already are and oh. where, where we want to go, so that that's that's the basis of that side of work. And sometimes they cross, sometimes they cross pollinate, you know, oh. both, both both ways. And well, uh, anyone would be thrilled to have your um, your energy in the reading and uh, the connection, the higher knowing and the higher uh, frequency connection to who they really are through you, um, so as a glimpse to anchor in their truth. And to play their play, their part in the play to the max, because that's what um, I think uh, uh, many people like Ishtar um, didn't have to come back at this time. And they're way showers and they're they're helping us remember um, the divine within and, and be empowered to play it full out from there. And so the astrology work and the meditation work and the, <clears throat> the connection to um, the joy of this game instead of mm -hmm. the fear of the game is, yeah. uh, I think that's what's up for us, for, uh, for everyone now. I hope, I hope. So um, Ishar, do you want to share again um, your, the best ways to reach you so we yeah. can make sure everybody gets a hold of you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's see. I've, I've through my websites is very good, and one is of course uh, www.ascension-meditation.com, and the other is www.awakened with the ed at the end lightastrology.com. I also yeah. have a YouTube channel which not only has three videos on it now, but it's I've, I've just begun it, which was. I, I think my handle is like youtube.com slash Ishtar Ishaya, oh. um, something like that. 
So. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Well, um, I'm so glad that uh, people were able to see you today. I hope they'll all share this uh, presentation and and get to follow Ishtar and know that uh, there's a huge gift for all of us in your experience and your perspective. And um, bless you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank thank you. Well, that that, that sped by. Yeah, yeah, it too. always does. It always yeah. does. But I, I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you, everybody. Please share. Please share this to everyone you can think of.